Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on bluenile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Now, we welcome you along to Wednesday's edition of the programme. John Paul taking your calls at 1850-333-103. You can text her WhatsApp 86 And looking through the papers today, there are pages and pages of coverage of the funeral of Marion Finucane yesterday. And of course, while the funeral of Marion Finucane was going on, people were coming to terms with the news that broke yesterday morning of the death of another radio legend. Uh, and that, of course, was Larry Gogan. So there's lots and lots in the papers about Larry Gogan as well. But Marion's funeral certainly gets a lot of column inches and lots of uh, photographs. I mean, following her death, her unexpected and sudden death in her sleep last week, hundreds turned out at the at the church yesterday and all the RTE colleagues, all the big wigs were there. The Director General D. Forbes, Miriam McCallaghan is in the papers today, pictured at it. So Joe Duffy, Blonetney Coffey, Ryan Tuberty, Claire Byrne, Brendan O'Connor all in attendance. Even the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar turned up and President Michael D. Higgins, while he wasn't there himself, he did send his aide-de-com. And the chief celebrant was actually a priest who was the first cousin of Marion's and he spoke at the funeral yesterday about Marion's death and saying that it had been a brutal shock to her family. And I know her son, Jack, went up and paid tribute to his mum and I loved the way Jack described his mum as a classy lady with soul in in the truest sense and of course uh, Jack was supported yesterday by his wife Jen- Jennifer who is expecting Marion Finucane's what would have been Marion's first grandchild in a month's time and Jack saying that her spirit will live on when the next generation of the family is born starting with that little baby next month I mean that's just an, an added layer of for the family but I think yesterday who while the while the country was mourning the fact that we have lost this true radio legend and I know at the weekend when I was listening to the tribute programme that went out on Saturday morning I was uh, tweeting about the fact listening to the programme that I felt that I'd lost a friend I, you know, really because she's been a part of our lives for so long and people have listened to her for so long and it's and there was just always something very comforting about turning on the radio particularly in the last number of years on the weekend and there was Marion and it was like you were eavesdropping sometimes particularly when she had a panel in the studio it felt like you were eavesdropping on somebody's conversation or as if everybody was sitting around your kitchen table having a cup of tea with you she had that lovely lovely way about her and while everyone is very saddened by that it is her family are the ones they are the real mourners and they are the ones who are facing this enormous 
enormous uh, loss, but in particular her husband, John Clark, who I thought was so brave yesterday to stand up because he wanted to say a few words and he wanted to talk, as he said, about Marion, about my Marion. And here's just, uh, I, this is worth playing out. It isn't very long. Here was John Clark addressing the, Marion's husband, addressing the congregation yesterday. It's been a horrid day, a terrible week. Um, but I'm glad you're all here. Uh, I want to thank the media and all the people who contributed to Marion to her the stories and stuff and sometime I'll thank you better I'm not in sort of great form today but I did want to talk about Marion my Marion a woman who I've loved for 40 years a woman who for me always make the colours brighter the world a bit easier to live in. Last December, the first week of it, she decided to retire. And we were so excited. We would have more time, more space, more books to read, more places to see. Sadly, that's not going to happen. Uh, somebody said about us, I don't know who, but we were two 15-year-old adolescents who were addicted to each other and forgot to grow up. I sort of don't deny that. I had a lot of things to say and do about various things with Marion, and I don't have... I don't have... I find myself so powerless at the moment. I don't know what to do. I truly don't know what to do. And some weeks ago, we were in a township in Africa with a very old black woman. And she said to us, the only thing I can give you are my tears. And that's all I think I can do today. Oh, God help him. That was just so heartbreaking and just summed up the love between Marion Finucane and her husband, uh, John Clark, as he said. Um, I have loved her for 40 years. It was just very, very difficult. I saw the little clip of it on the news and then um, John Paul managed to track down the fuller version on a line this morning. It's just yeah, heartbreaking and our sympathies go to John Clark and uh, to Jack and uh, to the rest of the family. It's, it's heartbreaking. And another family who must be absolutely... And who I know who are bereft because I heard his daughter speak yesterday and that's the, the family of the late Larry Gogan and stars from the world of music and broadcasting all paying very heartfelt tributes to Larry Gogan after he his death was announced yesterday, the man who was known as the king of the radio. And his daughter Sinead yesterday said the flood of tributes and the kind words that had flowed for her father it, are actually helping the family since his death was announced yesterday morning. She said we can feel the love, we're getting the messages. And she said it's just so moving and touching to hear that what everyone has to say about your father 
father and uh, she said we're all heartbroken and he'd be so embarrassed if he heard what everybody was saying he'd be scared <laughs> and he wasn't the type of man he would have been said would you stop that you know and the one thing I think listening to so many people talk yesterday about Larry Gogan who was like 60 years on radio which is an incredible achievement it was, he's, he's, he was just a nice guy he was just a nice person like everyone that met him said particularly you know over those 60 years he would have seen so many people come and go through radio always willing to help people out always there with words of advice and of course music he absolutely loved music that's what he loved to do he loved to play records as he said he wanted to be a DJ so he certainly managed to fulfil that and what I think is lovely was the fact that he was doing it right up to the end he only had a programme a few was it last week the week before was his last uh, programme at 81 you know there was no sign of him retiring which was the other thing that was quite sad to hear John Clark talk about Marion that she'd made that decision to retire there was other things she wanted to do and that they wanted to do together that now that they won't be able uh, to do so two great legends may they both uh, rest in peace Marion Finucane and uh, Larry Gogan now coming up on the programme uh, this morning we're going to in a couple of minutes speak with the Irish Hospital Consultants because they are not happy about the decision to cancel elective surgery at the Cork Hospitals. These, this, this decision was made on Sunday and all elective surgeries have been cancelled for the Monday, Tuesday and today, Wednesday. And I know there's another meeting going on today and that is to review the situation. So we're going to have to wait to hear from that review. Are they going to can- cancel more surgeries or will they go back and, you know, pick up on the surgeries that are already uh, booked in? But it is utterly heartbreaking for any families who had a surgery that was planned, an elective surgery and somebody psyched up and ready to go into the hospital then to get the phone call to go, no, sorry, your surgery has been cancelled. And actually later on in the day, on the programme after half past 12, we're going to be speaking with a mother who has gone public because she's written this open letter to the health minister, Simon Harris, because her little seven-year-old son needs, I believe it's heart surgery in Crumlin Children's Hospital Eight times this little fella's surgery has been cancelled uh, and obviously he needs to have the surgery and he actually, I think, said to the mum at one stage, you know, can I have my surgery so I can go out to play? Because obviously if it's a heart condition, he's limited in what he, he can do. So this is, you know, this is life altering and life saving operation that this little boy needs and his surgery has been cancelled. So we'll speak with that mother later on on the programme today. The mayor of Cork County is going to be joining us on the programme uh, today. Now, we invited him to talk about why he made the decision not to attend the RIC commemoration which was due to be held at Dublin Castle. I'll still ask him his views on that and why he had decided why he felt it wasn't appropriate for him as the Mayor of uh, Cork County to uh, go. Now we know that that commemoration has since been cancelled so we'll talk about that on the programme today. Now I know we had a lot of people were very angry about the very fact that that commemoration was going ahead yesterday on the programme. So your thoughts and comments welcomed if you didn't manage to get through to us yesterday because phone lines were very, very busy. We would then have a warning to dog owners to know where your dog is at all times. We're coming into lambing season and there's already been attacks on sheep which is and you know and, and it always comes up when we talk about this you know most people would say oh my dog is such a placid lovely 
family pet, you know, would never get involved in anything like, like that. And there's been so many times where a dog has been shot by a farmer and rightly so if they're attacking and, and worrying sheep or where an owner has been it has been found out that a dog attacked sheep and the owner, when the owner is confronted, the owner in complete disbelief that their, you know, wonderful dog Rover or Fido could ever get involved in something like that. But it seems to be like a pack mentality if they get off with other dogs. It's when it really, they, what is a gorgeous family pet can suddenly turn into this really wild beast who will attack everything inside. So we're going to give advice around that and just get that message out to people. Please know where your dog is at all times. And then stay on the whole theme of animals. And this time it's a cruelty case that has come to our attention out of Mallow. And this is the ISPCA have gone public with these eight gorgeous dogs that they found in the most appalling of conditions. Now they've gone and they've rescued the animals so we want to get an update uh, more so as to how the animals are doing and what are the plans for these a- animals. And again, put out an appeal to people if you are worried or concerned about any animal that you think has been neglected or abused, please, we'll have the telephone numbers for you to ring and alert the powers that be uh, so that we can get the necessary help to those animals. Some of your calls already coming into the programme. Pat in from Moy on the cancellation of the RIC commemoration or postponement, I think is what Prime Minister Charlie Franigan would probably want us to be saying. He he said we commemorated the war, First World War back in 2014 to 2016 and all of the commemorations were and we commemorated 1916. They were all very balanced, but we're barely into 2020 and it's all kicking off again. It's like we're back to civil war politics. We need to acknowledge the truth and what happened in our history. But if we are like this already, commemorating what happened in 1920, what is it going to be like as we go forward? Because we're in this decade of centenaries with every crossroad in this country being like a burning bush, says uh, Pat. So he reckons there's going to be a lot more dispute and arguments and people questioning what we should be commemorating. What do we need to remember? Because we do need to remember our history. We can't brush it under the carpet and say that it never happened. But it's it's how we do it and the sensitivities that are around it. I think that's what's important. And like even still today on the newspapers, people are saying that the commemoration of the Black and Tans has been uh, cancelled. Charlie Flanagan would be a pains to point out and so would the Taoiseach that it was never a commemoration of the Black and Tans. But most people, the minute they heard that the RIC was going to be commemorated, most people straight away jumped in and said, well, well you're honouring the Black and Tans by doing that. So I think it's the sensitivity. It's how we actually handle these commemorations. But nobody wants to airbrush anything out of our history. It happened and it has to be acknowledged but it's how we remember it now is important. 1850-333-103 and the situation at our hospitals. Pat is wondering how many nursing staff have received the flu jab this year. Pat believes not all did. Do we have official stats on how many got the jab? I haven't seen it anywhere. I know... They do release it. I'm, I'm trying to work. I'm trying to think. Is it the I the INMO we would get onto, or is it the HSC? We might send an email off to the HSC because they'll point us in the right direction uh, if we're on the wrong department to find out how many actually received. They can't force nursing staff. They advise nursing staff, and uh, like they advise people in the at risk groups to get the flu vaccine every year. 
But traditionally, you never get a very high number of nurses getting the flu vaccine. There's a whole host of different reasons. Some feel they need to get, they should be getting time off work to go and get the vaccines. I don't think anybody's actually against the vaccine per se, but it's how the vaccine is administered, I think, is where the nurses seem to have an issue. Certainly that's what came up on previous years. But we'll see. We'll send an email off to the HSE to find out how many nurses received the flu vaccine because with what's going on in our hospitals at the moment, Certainly the nurses need to be protected and we don't want any of them going out sick with what's going on in our hospitals. And Deirdre, with the pressure that's going on in the big hospitals such as CUH and Mercy, they're the two hospitals where they've cancelled the elective surgery for the first three days of this week. Deirdre is putting out a a suggestion and wondering, could we bring in nurses who are less busy from the regional hospitals, the community hospitals, if they are quiet, could the staff not be moved into the larger city hospitals. If this was a large private company that had, say, a bigger operation in the city and then they had smaller branches around the country, that's what they do, Deirdre Fields. They'd bring in from the smaller outlets, they'd bring them in if they weren't as busy and funnel them all into what would be the biggie, busy one in the city. Now, I don't know if if that can work. Is that something that has ever been looked at before? Are is there ever a situation that a community hospital would be would have more staff than they actually need and would be able to give up staff to send them into the city hospitals? So that's a suggestion coming in from Deirdre to 0862 103 103 with John Paul taking your calls at 1850 333 103. Can I just give you a quick reminder that we have our competition all this week. We have teamed up with the Park Avon Hotel on the Muckras Road in Killarney that was formerly the Holiday Inn within walking distance of the town centre of Killarney which is full of lively bars and attractions. And day three of our competition, we have another two nights bed and breakfast in a classic double room for two people. Complimentary leisure facilities includes a heated indoor swimming pool, sauna, steam room and a fitness room. Later on on the programme what will I do? I'll do as I've been doing all week. I will play you a clip from a well-known Kerry person. You'll have to text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 and then we will select our winner for today and you can check out more about the wonderful Park Avon Hotel where you can explore, relax and enjoy. Check out their website parkavenhotel.com Court today on C103 With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go Shortcastle Street, Mallow, Smokeless Coal, Turf, Gas and Kiln Dried Wood. Open late 7 days. Lowcostfuel.ie Egg foil and mock quid then and here is far lean. Shot a thrower C103 air kirkig. Ha anahorik lean or tula agastrosori er hue lord na file and malachotin. Is a sword file vile chotin a curter two slash and shoe lord. A lanan go bile andrine er vor na file. Lemonier er hair vovoin agasanarige er in devele. Brish is kuig vile er hunner and nak in the file at a guest. Le rarkana untaha is to dull heart troig vile trasna. Shoe lord na file and now, the Irish Hospital Consultants Association, which represents over 90% of hospital consultants, has warned that the decision this week to cancel all elective surgery at Cork hospitals will have severe knock-on consequences for patient health outcomes. Uh, Martin Varley is the Secretary General of the Irish Hospital Consultants and Martin joins me. Good morning to you, Martin. Good morning, Patricia. Now, Martin, we're hospital consultants in Cork. Consult us. 
before the decision by management was made? To, to my, my knowledge, they, they were not fully consulted or properly consulted. And a blanket cancellation of um, elective surgery isn't appropriate or isn't necessary. It's not a good way to run a public health service. And in particular, we take account of the fact that you're including in those, in those cancellations cancer patients who may have breast surgery or prostate or colorectal surgical needs that should be done on a timely basis. It doesn't seem sensible that you impose a blanket ban. Uh, there's much more uh, to be achieved if you have proper discussions and selections with the surgical medical teams to decide, well, what can you best achieve even in a very, very difficult set of circumstances an elective surgery is essential surgery. That's the first and most important point to make. And a lot of it is, is actually urgent uh, in a particular case. Yeah, I think, some, I think some people, Martin, will be surprised to hear that elective uh, surgery uh, can and is uh, urgent uh, surgery and that some patients have cancer. Exactly. You see, uh, you, elective just means you give somebody an appointment date in advance. Emergency means you present in an ED or in a hospital uh, with something that's absolutely emergent uh, an absolute emergency and he must be admitted he must be treated immediately uh, so it's still urgent that you would get your cancer uh, surgery carried out within a particular time frame and there there, there are recommended time frames uh, that you should get these things done and that the treatment pathway uh, a movement on to uh, chemotherapy and radiotherapy can be proceeded with as necessary uh, so uh, there's a whole sequencing of events in terms of how you can best provide care to a patient, in particular a surgical patient. Yeah, and then I was listening to the Health Minister, Simon Harris, who said yesterday that cancelling all planned admissions to hospitals and uh, elective surgery, he said, wasn't the appropriate thing to do. And he said the trade union and no politician will tell will decide clinical matters. Clinical matters about what is an urgent operation is decided by uh, appropriately the, the clinicians. So, like, he's saying it's up to the consultants and the clinicians to decide. But yet, on the other hand, we have elective surgeries cancelled. Exactly. And uh, that's why we have issued our statement even prior to the Minister making his comments. And we welcome his comments. And in fact, uh, what we would like to see happen is that uh, the best possible decisions will be taken even in these very, very dire circumstances whereby we have an insufficient number of beds and our acute hospitals in Cork in particular just don't have the capacity which they need to provide care to what is the increased and an ageing population. Um, so that is really the root cause problem. And why are we in this situation? Nationally, we have 300 fewer acute hospital beds than we had a decade ago, despite the fact that uh, the population has gone up so significantly. And with an ageing population. Exactly. And the government did uh, agree plans in 2018 to increase the acute hospital bed capacity. It hasn't happened to the extent it should. In fact, I would say they're, they're delaying the opening of the extra beds that were even provided for in the capacity review and the National Development Plan, both of which were announced in 2018. And uh, we need to front load those beds, not delay them. And Cork Hospitals have not received the investment they need to provide the extra capacity to provide the care to patients. And we've had a lot of talk, in fact, over the years about it, at the new hospital being developed in Cork. Mm. But unfortunately, it has only been talk. Nothing uh, concrete has happened, to my knowledge, with regard to addressing the very severe capacity deficit here in Cork. Let's not forget, CUH is one of the major cancer centres in the country. 
and it's also a major acute hospital. So it's not surprising that in a time like this you'll see a spike in trolley numbers. Patients who do need acute medical care have to be looked after. But if you don't have the basic capacity in a hospital, then you will have a major problem when you have a spike. But it's not just a January problem. This is a year-round problem. I know that ca- that uh, surgical procedures are being cancelled in CUH and other Cork hospitals throughout the year. Uh, but it's obviously far more extreme in January. So we need action. We need action from the government. We need and action will, and Martin, will, in place. will consultants be able to tell their patients when the operation will be rescheduled? Well, this is the difficulty. I understand that uh, this week uh, the announcement was made that the elective uh, appointments were being cancelled. It's a blanket cancellation. And it's been left into consultants and their teams to try and find a slot in what is an already pre-booked, very difficult schedule to get those patients back in. So every effort will be made in that regard. But it's a difficult situation whereby we know that for the next number of weeks, if not months, our acute hospitals are going to be massively overstretched because we just have not addressed the capacity deficit over the last decade. Uh, So everything will be done as possible and consultants will try to prioritise and get patients in. Perhaps there's scope to get more day case patients in, which doesn't require an inpatient bed. That will actually uh, facilitate some, hopefully. But then others will need inpatient beds. And then, of course, the difficulty in accessing beds will become a problem. So everything will be done. Uh, and it should be done in a better way than it was done this week with proper planning, proper consultation and not a blanket ban. OK, and one of our, our, our listeners saying this decision to cancel a surgery was seen as a solution by the HSE. But what exactly is it solving? It appears to me it's just making people sicker. That's a, that's a valid point, isn't it? It is. It's pushing out the procedures and the surgical care that patients need and patients could deteriorate clinically during that period. And it's not a good place for anybody to be in. Our acute hospital system should not be in this position. We've been highlighting this problem for years. And I know the economy went through difficulties around 2008, 9, 10, but the economy has been improving since 2011 onwards. And we haven't prioritised, as a nation, investment in our public hospitals that our public depend on. And a lot of the care we're talking about can only be received in uh, a significant tertiary public hospital and in a cancer centre, for example. So we're neglecting basic investment in terms of delivering acute hospital care uh, throughout the country, and in particular, we've seen it this week and previously in Cork. Okay, All right, we'll leave it there, uh, Martin. And and I sadly know it's an issue we are going to be returning to, but in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you very much. Uh, Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Martin Varley, who is the Secretary General of the Irish Hospital Consultants. 1850-333-103. Mick says, bring back the beast from the east. It'll get rid of all the flus you were talking about earlier. Uh, Patricia, it's this mild weather is keeping the flus uh, going. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Cork today on C103. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel & Go. Shortcastle Street, Mallow. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kiln-dried wood and gas. Lowcostfuel.ie So, you've got a smartphone or tablet. Then, get the must-have app so you can take us everywhere. Download the C103 app today and listen to your favourite shows on the go. Grab our podcasts and all the latest Cork news. And if you've a smart speaker, ask it to play C103. Play C103. Okay. On your phone. Tablet. Smart speaker. And radio. 
the Mayor of Cork County, Christopher O'Sullivan, to join us to give us his view on the commemoration. But of course, uh, what has since happened is it has been uh, cancelled. But Christopher O'Sullivan has kindly still joined us in studio. Uh, good morning to you, Christopher. Good morning, Patricia. And Happy New Year you uh, too, to you. you too. Now, firstly, you, you weren't going. You had made the decision. Yeah, I declined. I declined Why? the invitation. Um, I guess when I started out my year as mayor, I promised, I made a couple of promises to myself and um, one would be that I wouldn't do anything that I felt uncomfortable with personally. Uh, and secondly, I try where possible uh, and as much as possible to do what I felt that the people of Cork County, who I represent, uh, wanted me to do. And I suppose certainly, look, I, I was I was uh, always going to de- de- decline the invitation, but certainly I think uh, what's developed over the last couple of days and the um, public outcry, I suppose you could call it, but certainly the public sentiment, mm. uh, okay, uh, and, you know, not just from hardened Republicans, uh, from everybody right across the board, um, you know, felt that this uh, was an inappropriate commemoration or, or uh, an inappropriate event. So therefore, I think I, I did get the decision right. So that's 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 it mainly. Um, and I know Leo Varadkar had c- come out because it was only the mayors from all of the local authorities were invited. And they were saying that he was saying that if the mayor didn't want to come. He was saying, let somebody else come. Were you going to dip? Were you going to send somebody else? Well, the, the situation was, so um, uh, we got back, I suppose, to work as such on Monday. We had we had meetings in the Western Division on Monday. Now, I didn't see my invitation to the commemoration until Tuesday. So at that point, we were preparing in the mayor's office a statement. Now, I decided that I wasn't going. At that time, it was unclear whether it would be a decision of full council to send a deputy or whether it was a decision of the mayor's office. Okay. When I got clarification that it was actually uh, a call w- whether or not the mayor's office should be uh, represented or not, uh, I decided since it was my call that I didn't feel that the mayor's op- office should be representative. Um, no, there's talks of boycott and all that. Listen, I'm, I'm not going to stop any councillor uh, from attending an event that they wish to attend. Um, I personally didn't want to attend and I didn't want the mayor's office to be represented. I didn't want the mayoral chains to be represented at the commemoration because of my own personal opinion, my own personal beliefs. And I'm, as I said at the, at the outset, I am representing the people of Cork. And it was very, very clear from quite early on from, I think, when the mayor of Clare uh, made his initial statement. I think he was probably the first out. He was the first. I reckon he yeah. was possibly the first to see his invitation, to be yeah. honest, because that was the first I, I, I'd actually heard of this RIC uh, commemoration. As I said, it was only yesterday morning when I saw the official invitation myself and then we prepared a statement. Where we and decided. John Sheehan in the city also came out quite strongly. John Sheehan came out quite strongly. And listen, I, I think it's in unison with his position as well that I felt it, it, it was important to clarify my position. John... Um, has a very compelling story to tell in terms of uh, Tomás McCurtain. Uh, Who wore that chain of office. He wore that chain. He was executed by the RIC. Yeah. That's a really, really significant moment in history. It's still, I suppose, full of emotion for quite a lot of people. Uh, You know, people uh, who, uh, I suppose, were in support of uh, going ahead with this commemoration were using phrases like, look, this is 100 years ago. It's a long time. It actually isn't. You know, it, it isn't that long ago. It's still... 
the memories are still there for a lot of people um, and for a lot of descendants of uh, who are of people still, who, who, who are, are alive and, so and, and talk that about That was there and, and I thought John's uh, response to this was, uh, you know, as, as, uh, as the city mayor um, and it was one time where I suppose the, the county and the city really came together and yeah. I thought his response was very measured, very accurate and certainly I thought it would have been flying in the face of his position Absolutely. if I was to attend. Absolutely. You know, so. And so many people picked up on that particular story. Now yeah. your own uh, party leader, Micheál Martin, um, said that the, the the commemoration was an error in judgment. Have you any understanding of where they were coming to on this one and why? I'm scratching my head to, to, to try to figure that out myself. I guess, look, 1916 um, and 2016, the commemorations in that year were for me a, a massive success. Uh, I, I attended several events in, in Clannacilty in my hometown. I was honoured to... Um, uh, launch and open a, uh, a a plaque, I suppose, with the um, proclamation on it on the Model Rail Division. Kind of get the, I was in, it was an immensely proud moment for me. I was representing the mayor on that day, um, and then we had the whole RTE coverage of the commemoration, the coverage here, which yourselves in C103. It was it was fantastic. They really got it right, mm. and I think they got it right because there was a whole party cross party approach to it, a cross party agreement, cross party discussion. Uh, and that was led led it to be a success. And it must be remembered in some of those nineteen sixteen commemorations, there was people on both sides uh, of the of the um, war. I suppose uh, there was people on both sides commemorated. Families were divided at that time. Families yeah. families were divided, but there were, there were both sides of uh, those who lost their lives in different conflicts uh, through that period commemorated during 1916. And there wasn't an island battle because it was done in the right way. It was done, the, the, the correct story was told. Um, so they, they had that cross-party approach. It seems to me that this time around, that that cross-party um, approach to it wasn't there. Um, I know that they uh, do say that they had some input from the expert advisory group. I don't feel that there was enough input and I feel well, that they misinterpreted well, I know, the, I know the suggestion. Dear, Dear Ferriter, the well-known historian who's a member of that group, he has disputed uh, what Charlie Flanagan and other ministers are saying, the expert group said. So I think that needs to be, that yeah, needs I, to I, be addressed I, as I, well. I, I feel that's what's happened here is that the government have interpreted um, advice from the expert advisory group in the way that they wish to do and, and they've missed it. And I think that another um, really important thing to, to, to remember here, Patricia, is that 2020 is going to be a huge year of commemorations in, in this county. Uh, and I guess this is another reason that I refuse to attend myself. But you have uh, Kilmichael, the, the famous Kilmichael ambush. It'll be the 100 year anniversary of that. This yeah. is a, a commemoration that I attend um, as much as I can myself or where I can on a yearly basis. Um, you know, that was a really, really important story in the struggle for Irish freedom here in Mallow, where, where we are today in, in your fantastic studios. We had the taking of the Mallow Barracks in mm-hmm. the summer of 2020. That was a really, really important, uh, momentous event. Uh, and of course, uh, I mentioned we already mentioned Tomas McCurtain, who in it, that his his commemoration will be in March of 2020. He's 2020 so as well, it would have yeah. really when you consider uh, these incredibly important events that were marking in 2020, it would have felt odd and weird and just wrong uh, as far as I'm concerned to begin the commemoration uh, with remembering the RIC who in the end of the day um, were an arm of the British rule here at the time that we and And backed up by the black and tans backed up by the black and tans and listen it's very important here that we don't get bogged down in anti-British sentiment and you know there's accusations of being narrow-minded and living in the past and I don't think that's true I've always approached these kind of things 
looking at reconciliation as 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 a, as a big point of it. Um, and I certainly think looking at the feedback and some of the commentary on Facebook, these are not coming from narrow minded uh, anti-British people. Not, yeah. uh, and it's important that we get that message out there. Listen, there are plenty of uh, British people living in Cork, living in West Cork, where I'm from, who come here to visit. Uh, and I think we have done a lot. We've achieved so much in previous decades to mend uh, those wounds and they are mended and if you think of the Queen's visit here I think that was a seminal point Particularly we, here, here to Cork We yeah. have peace in the north which is something that I think a lot of people thought that, that may not have happened in our lifetime so there's been huge steps made in terms of reconciliation and we're good at it we're good at it as a, as a county we're good at it as a country um, but this just came completely yeah. out of left field and, and, to and he, was too and much. And to hear um, and to still see um, Charlie Flanagan saying uh, he is determined the commemoration will take place at a later date insisting and I quote it's the right thing to do. Yeah I, I think Charlie really needs to listen to listen to the people listen yeah. to the feedback listen to the mayors who en masse I think in the end of the day declined invitation uh, not just Fianna Fáil mayors there was, there was uh, Fianna Gael uh, TDs there was Fianna Gael councillors who declined it uh, the, 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 a standalone commemoration for the RAC, uh, DMP, essentially auxiliaries as well, black and tans. Um, it's not right. It won't sit right with the people. Possibly there is room for, as we did in 1916, um, commemorating all those who were lost uh, at an event. I'm not sure how to do it, but mm. listen, listen to the people uh, is what I'd say to the, to the government. Yeah. This isn't the right step. And it has to be sensitively, sensitively handled. Uh, OK, start of the new year. Have you, you have another six months left as mayor. The first six months, you've, re- you've really been enjoying it, haven't you? I know it's been really busy for you, but you've been enjoying it. Yeah, I thought you were going to ask me, have I any New Year's resolutions, well, Patricia? Well, but, uh, I've, I've absolutely loved it. It's, it's been a blast. I can't believe six months are gone. Um, so many highlights. Uh, and, you know, if I was to pick out any, I think I, I've said it to you before, visiting the schools right, and visiting the young people, it, it restores my faith in young people. First yeah. of all, they're so respectful. Uh, they love seeing the chains and, and the position of mayor, they obviously love getting homework off as well, which yeah. is kind of an easy win. But listening to their message uh, on climate action, I mean, we see what's going on in Australia now at the moment and different events worldwide. Listening to their message on, on climate action really restores hope because sometimes you can get quite, uh, you, you can despair a lot about it, but it restores my hope. And as well, they have a big message on, on plastic pollution, yeah. uh, which I think is fantastic. So um, Both well for more, the future, more of it? that. But I'm really looking forward to attending a lot of these commemorative events um, yeah. and hopefully getting an opportunity to say a, a few words because that would be a, a huge honour for me. Um, but yeah, there's there's six months left um, and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it, to be honest. I don't want it to end. And, uh, do you know, if they want to give me another five years of this, I'd, I'd certainly yeah, I'd take it. And, no problem. and seeing as you brought it up yourself, what are your New Year's resolutions? My New <laughs> You I, look like a type of guy that sets New Year's resolutions. I've never ever. kept them, Patricia. Have you not? I've you never s- kept and them. And do you religiously set them every year? I, I have a go. I mean, I've tried uh, the old dieting one. Uh, you know, I've tried uh, keeping a you know a January free of any uh, tipples or, or or drink or anything like that. It, it never works out. I mean, it's, it? it's, it's it's so difficult. Listen, life is for living and enjoy it. And uh, if you're into your New Year's resolutions, go for it. But uh, yeah, yeah, I've I've failed miserably. Um, and you kind of yeah. <laughs> I think you're I think you're better off than not setting them because you feel worse if you failed. Whereas if you don't set them, you have nothing to fail. Absolutely. Listen, pleasure of all as always to chat with Thank you, you uh, Christopher. Thank, Thank you for you that so and much. thanks for joining us in studio. That is the Mayor of Cork County, uh, Christopher O'Sullivan. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. We're going to take a break. We've news at eleven on the way. Court today on C one zero three with a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel. 
Pool and Go, Shortcastle Street, Mallow. Call and collect or get seven day delivery for those cozy nights in. Lowcostfuel.ie. Nick Richards plays Cork's greatest hits for your workday on C103. Do you like pink? Well, there's an elephant in the room. I'm going to go up to it and shake its hand and yeah. say, hi, does everyone see this elephant? What about Brian Adams? I thought, well, yeah, if they want to do it, let's do it. And Billy Joel. We always played the radio at my house and fell in love with it. They're the kind of greatest hits I play every afternoon. Playing Cork's greatest hits while you work. Nick Richards. Weekdays from 1. C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your thoughts and comments coming in uh, reacting to my interview with the Mayor of Cork County, Christopher O'Sullivan, uh, giving us his view as to why he wouldn't have attended that commemoration ceremony if uh, it was planned to go ahead for next week at Dublin uh, Castle. It has now been, I I would say, cancelled. But then when you hear Charlie Franigan the minister who was one of the ones responsible for the commemoration, he is determined that, the, that this commemoration will take place at a later date because he still, still is insisting it's the right thing to do. Some of your thoughts coming in on this. Somebody who simply signs their text is commemorating the First World War. That's fine. No problem with that at all. But the RIC, I know Tomás McCurtain's son and family, so it's not that long ago, says M. Tim in Yall says regarding the RIC, commemoration. This is extremely controversial with Irish people and an error in judgment by the government. Minister Charlie Flanagan should resign. He needs to get off the stage now and acknowledge the voice of the Irish people. He couldn't even agree with historian Dermot Ferreter. Dermot Ferreter is a member of the expert advisory group for the government. The atrocities committed by this group who worked hand in hand with the Black and Tans should and will not be forgotten, including the 1913 lockout. Definitely not very political, Charlie, is it? That's from Tim in Yall. And then Dan says, Patricia... Fianna Gael seemed to have a political death wish. Wish A document that was released last weekend shows that the medical card for over 70s will not happen before July of 2020. We're talking about the RIC commemoration. Also, as, add to that an impossible task of trying to get one million electric cars on our roads in 10 years. We've got problems in health, problems in housing, homelessness, insurance rip-offs. Um, are they on some kind of a political death wish, says uh, Dan. And uh, one final one, Patricia, I don't know anyone who wanted the RIC and Black and Tans. They were here to bully the poor. I mean, poor Irish people, just like the present government. They haven't one bit of respect for the ordinary people. It's time that Leo Varadkar and this government are told to go. I don't know what he knows about those times of the troubles and out of the troubles the civil war but but he only appears to be listening to John Bruton yeah I missed John Bruton on the TV the other night John Bruton was one of the voices who was very strong saying that this RIC commemoration should go ahead let me go to the phone lines because Ger is in Rostellan Uh, good morning to you Ger Good morning, Patricia. Um, uh, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. You're doing a great show there and it's great to get on and let people know what this government is doing. (laughs) You and people, radio people in Cork are the only ones that have a voice for us. Well, well, that's what we're here for. Okay, Ger, the commemoration, your views on this commemoration and it being cancelled. Patricia, you were talking about John Bruton. I listened to John Bruton last Monday night on the Clare Byrne show, all right? Yeah. 
And we know John Bruton's history. When Prince Char- when John Bruton was a Taoiseach, Prince Charles stayed with him for a night or two. And he came out the following two days with an interview and he said it was the best time of his life to spend the night with Prince Charles. Now, that's his own business. What he did, he did, you know. But yeah. last Monday night, he said the Black and Tans and the RIC were already doing their job and they were all brave people. Now, how could how could a next a next a next Taoiseach could say that when they murdered when they murdered Thomas McCartan in front of his child and in front of his wife, he was dragged by the hair out of his out of his bed. The, the Black and Tans and the REC did that, and the worst of all, like there was a lot of stuff done in Cork. But probably the worst of all was Bloody Sunday, 1920, November 1920, when the REC went into Crow Park and shot down 13 civilians and one Michael Hogan, that was the captain of the Tipperary team. Hogan Stand named after. Hogan Stand, exactly. And uh, Patricia, that evening, the RIC went around Dublin and they picked up, now, I don't know that many people know this, but I, I read this during the week, that they picked up three people off the streets, three men off the streets, they bought them to Dublin Castle, they tortured them, and the next morning those three people were found dead inside their cell. And Dublin Castle was the same place that Charlie Flanagan and our, our Taoiseach, Leo, was bringing, was bringing this commemoration and glorifying the RUC. And, and have you... I could keep going. I know you could, Ger, but have you any understanding as to why Charlie Flanagan would think that it is OK to commemorate the well, RUC? Patricia, I think a lot of people would agree with me here. Now, that you have, you have Fine Gael. Fine Gael, how would you say about him? They were always pro-British. We know that. Even even if you go back to the Civil War, which will be on next year, there'll be a lot of stuff came out about Fine Gael. I don't know why they're so pro-British. Why don't they stand up for the Irish people with the trolley crisis? Our own Irish people are sleeping in tents. They're homeless. Fine Gaelers are feeding hundreds and hundreds every day. And they're so worried about the, they're so worried about the black and tans and the REIC. This is going to cost thousands. This commemoration is going to cost thousands because they had to protect they had to protect the people in there because there was going to be protests outside. I don't know what they're doing. They're living in cuckoo land. Yeah, Audrey, Audrey's making that point as well. They should leave, leave, all, leave all history in the past and spend the money on the homeless, etc. Um, instead, it's, it's the timing of this uh, is well, all wrong. Patricia, the thing about it is we should, we should be honouring our own Irish people. It doesn't matter if an Irishman shoots you Shoot you, or a British soldier to shoot you, they still wear the British uniform. They do. But the, 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 the RIC was made up of Irish men, predominantly Irish Catholics. There was some Protestants and there was some English officers, but it, they were Irish men. But that doesn't make a right, Patricia. Oh, they I know, the, I know. They wore the British uniform yeah. and they shot and they killed Irish people. Even you're going back to Bloody Sunday in Crow Park, there was three young people. There was Jerome O'Leary, he was age 10. There was William Robinson, he was age 11. There was William Scott, he was 14. There were three young, young kids they that were two. shot while they were watching the match. Yeah. And there was, 60, there was 60 injured, badly injured. They, they, 
They were just animals. Yeah, you see, now that now that's something that needs to be commemorated. The sure, hundred sure, hundred sure. years of, of Bloody Sunday, and and it will be, and it will be. All it right, will be. all right. Patricia, just before you go, okay. we'll be we'll be having a commemoration. I'm, I'm down here, down in Rastellan. We'll yeah. be having commemorations now within the next few months. I know Thomas Kent, even Thomas Kent Park in Rastellan, which was open in 2016, they shot him up in Concert Barracks. They took him out and they shot him. They did. And they, they raided their farm, their farm down in Castle Lines, down, down in Castle Lines, Thomas Kent, Thomas Kent family. And when, they, when the family ran out of bullets, the house was surrounded, they put their hands up, and Thomas Kent's brother, he ran, for, he ran out, so he could, he, could, he could he escape, and they shot him in the back. Yeah. Morley, uh, Patricia, I could go on forever. I know, you, I know. you have the clan bolt, you get the clan bolt masters. Outside Milton. And, and, and so many of those ambushes as they're coming up to the 100th year, because that's why sure. we're in this decade yes. of centenaries. Yes. We will be remembering them. We will talk more about them. Ger, listen, thank you for that. And it's Ger, in, uh, thank you. Thanks very thank much. You. And that's uh, Ger in Rostellan uh, joining us. And just as somebody said, Fishy, could you explain exactly who were the RIC and were they all bad people? They were the Irish Constabulary. Was That's what they were formed as in 1836. And then the prefix Royal, that was edited in, in 1867. And the reason it got the Royal bit was that the Irish Constabulary at the time had suppressed the Fenian uprising. Now, it was never universally popular because it was a quasi-military force and it also obviously engaged in intelligence gathering and it did assisted evictions during the land war of the 1880s so it will always be remembered for that as well it threw Irish people out of their homes but it had a certain public acceptance as the country's first legitimate police force and that's why Angarda Siakana were involved in this particular commemoration and its members uh, were predominantly, uh, predominantly Irish and predominantly Catholic there was some Protestants and they also had uh, English officers. So that was the RIC. Then it was the then the Black and Tans. This was in, by late 1919, the RIC was intimidated and it was boycotted and uh, causing many officers to resign and then they couldn't get recruits and they, they had a real problem. So the Lo- London government, who at the time would not openly acknowledge that there was a war going on in Ireland. So in January of 1920, this is 100 years of the RIC. Um, it began recruiting an auxiliary police force in Britain made up of ex-soldiers to support policing in Ireland and they were officially called the RIC Reserve. They were the ones then that became known as the Black and Tan because they had a black and a khaki coloured uniform. And they got the name, I didn't know this, after a pack of foxhounds in County Limerick. So that's where the Black and Tans came out of. They frequently operated independently of the RIC, with whom they often had a very uneasy relationship. But they certainly became byword for terror and uh, atrocities. And then you had the auxiliaries. They were a police backup. They were a particularly evil um, bunch of people, even though many of those they were recruited. They were ex-army officers. Many of those had come back from the First World War and were traumatised from the war and many of them very, very mentally un- unstable. So then if you look to the RIC and say, well, what is the legacy of the RIC? Some RIC members did criminal things during the War of Independence like what we've been talking about this morning, the murder of one of our own, the Lord Mayor of Cork, Tomás McCurtain. 
other RIC members tried to act honourably and independently of the two auxiliary terror forces. Some actively criticised the auxiliary police force behaviour, while some RIC officers actually helped the rebel cause, it seems. But some IRA members, we have to remember, also did um, very morally questionable things during what was a very, very dirty uh, conflict. Well, it's just kind of a synopsis of who the RIC and the Black and Tans and what this government was, according to Charlie Flanagan, will still go on and uh, commemorate. Okay, some of your thoughts coming in on this. The commemoration of the RIC could be included in the National Commemoration Day, the day which remembers all Irish people killed in wars, or do it on something like um, our wars are on UN duty. Hold it, that's held in the summertime. So if you want to commemorate them, do, do it on a day like that. The auxiliaries were worse than the Black and Tans. The auxiliaries wore, were a backup police and were drawn from British officer classes. The point I'm making, they were traumatised by the First World War, mentally unstable and they were simply out of control. The RIC were Irish, as were the Coast Guard and the National Teachers Understandies Education Act, which set up primary schools to promote an English mindset. The INTO was formed by teachers operating this system. Uh, so says Tim, a man in the know. And uh, Sandy says the Bruton family this is John Bruton, they've made no secret of their antagonism towards the Irish rebellion and re- belief that Ireland would be freed if Irish joined the British Army in the First World War. And Sandy says, judging by the reaction of people in general, I think it's high time the government forgot this stirring up of memories of the Civil War. Forget about a united Ireland. A relative of mine says Sandy was in the GPO in 1916 and went anti-treaty afterwards, while another who was an old old IRA member joined the Free State Army. The families involved still hold opposing views about the stance taken by both individuals in no uncertain terms. So politics is avoided in our household Look, Isn't that incredible all these years later that it gets passed down uh, through, the gen- through the generation. And as to spending money on a commemoration the money should be spent on health and some hospitals should be closed for illness and other illnesses requiring isolation to prevent spreading infections in the likes of CUH. Uh, Sandy uses the example of the Urnville Hospital. Could that not be uh, used? Uh, 18th, oh, I'm sorry, I just realised the point Sandy's making. Some of the closed hospitals, so you'd get people that were sick and put them into isolation and have all the people sick with contagious diseases, like people who have the flu, for example, you put them all in, in together and, and have an isolation hospital kind of a throwback to what used to be done during the days of TB where there was TB units I and mean, I'm not saying the flu is anything um, like TB even though God knows we are losing people to flu but I know the point Sandy's making have it isolated so that you're not spreading it on to anybody else John Paul has taken your calls 1850 text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs with at College now enrolling for full time 5th and 6th year and repeat leaving cert programmes Your success is built on their experience. See hewittcollege.ie Kitchen assistant is wanted for a full-time position that's at Araglin House Nursing Home that's in Bohabui. While a general operative is required that's for the North Cork area. Tractor driver wanted for an agri-contractor also in the North Cork area and a qualified hairdresser 
wanted for maternity cover to work during the summer months June, July and August in Roscarbury. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go. Shortcastle Street, Mallow. Smokeless coal, turf, gas and kiln dried wood. Open late seven days. Lowcostfuel.ie Can I give a quick mention to something that came in by message on Instagram from Australia from Clonboy O'Sullivan in Australia. First of all to tell us that rain had fallen and the temperatures had decreased somewhat. This was uh, sent earlier today. Uh, So there's a little bit of relief with the bushfires that are going on but Clonboy O'Sullivan in particular wants me to say hi to his brother Kionath who is having a serious operation on the 17th and uh, just wants to say that he's thinking of him in Australia and uh, hoping that he gets on okay and uh, just saying that he listens to the station uh, in Sydney and love to all from Sydney and you can't help but think of the people in Australia. My goodness what's been going on there with the bushfires. It really has been dreadful and we have so many of our own living in Australia and who who are living very good lives there and many of them, their homes are at risk, their jobs are at risk and their future in Australia is at risk. It really is just shocking what is happening. So it's good to have you along, Clonboy, at listeners on the radio. And I always think that's lovely when we hear that from people. I know I was chatting with one uh, one woman last year who contacted us, her son, um, I was saying this to John Paul in the office earlier, I think she said her son was in Melbourne and she, he picked her up from the airport and you know the, it was her first visit to Australia there was much excitement or whatever and they came out and he, he, the, the her suitcase was put into it was a jeep he was driving and she, she jumped in and he turned on the engine and they started driving and she was driving along next I started talking on the radio and she said what the hell's going on here and he goes oh that's uh, Patricia that's C103 they said I listen to it all the time it's it's like being back at home which is which is it which is lovely so it's it's great to anybody that's listening to us overseas it's always lovely to have you along and great when you connect with us either email us or connect with us through uh, social med- media and I suppose it is when you are so far away from home to have your local radio station on and to hear people talking about place names and people that you might know it does keep that connection doesn't it it's that lovely connection that you get with home now back to the RIC and this controversial commemoration for the Royal Irish Constabulary which is now in uh, Tatters and the certainly next week's gathering has been cancelled whether it's to go ahead later in the year I don't know Tom in Bantry said I would like to commemorate those that did good not bad in this country but the RIC and the Black and Tans did bad we need to leave this one off what's done is done what's won is won what's lost is lost in that year a man in Bantry who was unable to walk at the time he was actually called a cripple the man was dragged from his bedroom and shot outside his home because they believed that he was an informer and obviously it was a case of mistaken identity. Another woman in Adrigal was shot in the middle of the road and then her body thrown over the ditch. Do we need do we really need to commemorate people that did this and remember they did this to our own. I don't uh, think so. 1850-333-103 and I also want to just honour and remember all those that were lost in Widdy Island and thank you to people pointing this out to us including Helena on our Facebook page. It was 41 years ago today said Helena. We were all going to our beds not knowing we would be woken in a couple of hours later 
to the horrible disaster of what was unfolding at Widdy. West in peace, all the innocent souls who perished on that awful night. And Mel and Domain, we was on to say, Patricia, 41 years ago today, the Widdy disaster. And Mel said, I just want to remember it. And uh, Mel's very clear memories of it. She said, I was at home at the time and I was called into uh, work. Because at the time, Mel said she worked, in, she was obviously a nurse. I worked in the regional hospital, which is now CUH. And she got the call because that's where um, every available medical personnel uh, was called into the regional hospital as it was then so we remember and um, may they all rest in peace all those souls that were lost on this day 41 years ago that we never forget what happened in Whitty. 1850 Now the Irish Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals have removed eight dogs discovered in awful physical condition from a premises in Mallow. To discuss how the dogs are getting on, I'm joined by Lisa Donovan of the ISPCA. Uh, good morning to you, Lisa. Good morning, Patricia. And, and you're welcome. Now, how did you become aware of these poor dogs? Uh, we got a, a call to the office and there was uh, someone was concerned about the welfare of the dogs at the property. Um, so I, as we do in these situations, um, I, I drove out there and, and had a look and to be honest with you, nothing could have prepared me um, for what I saw. I saw I've seen a lot of bad things in this job, but um, uh, those poor eight dogs and the conditions they were in and the physical condition of those dogs was absolutely heartbreaking. <laughs> What breed of dog and, and roughly what age do you reckon? Um, Shih Tzu type dogs and uh, Bichons, uh, roughly between the age of, say, we'd say four was probably the youngest, um, nine probably being the oldest. And Bichons and, and such beautiful dogs and Shih Tzus, yeah. they're, just, they're normally such gorgeous dogs. Okay, describe firstly the condition of where they were living. How bad was that? Well, I think the first thing that that hit me, Patricia, was the smell. Um, you're talking about an accumulation of feces. Um, you're talking about dogs that have long, dirty, matted coats. And obviously with matted coats, you're going to have um, urine and feces clung to them. Um, the smell was horrific. Um, let's just say you'd be slipping and sliding when you walk into the pen um, and, and trying to, to secure these dogs because obviously, no, I mean, they are gorgeous dogs and they are very friendly, but when you arrive in there, um, they don't know you and they're absolutely petrified God. and very unresponsive to you. Um, it, it was it was bad, but it was the, the coats really was very alarming. Um, these are little house dogs that you have inside, up in the couch next year when you have your feet up watching TV at night in front of the fire. And here they were living out in in inches of of feces, um, with long matted coats and uh, very poor body condition. I was shocked when we actually uh, brought them back to the vets and examined them. You could feel every bone in their bodies. And were they outside? Do they have they any? W- it would have been outside. They would. They would have had shelter um, okay. by, by means of a pen. Um, but uh, I mean, like, I would rather lie out in the middle of a field. To be honest with you, because the middle of a field would be cleaner, um, and you have dry, clean places to get away from. But these poor little dogs didn't even have beds. And underweight, hungry. Underweight, uh, long nails. Um, I mean, any dogs, any of our pet dogs, when we bring them even for short walks, it wears down their, their nails. These dogs' nails were so long that they had to be sedated to get them cut back. Oh, God helps them. God help them. And the matted coats, I'm, I'm assuming, did you have to just get a groomer in to take get rid of them? 
Yeah, they had to be clipped right into the... I mean, we don't like doing that, especially in the middle of winter. You don't like taking a coat off a dog, but they were so intensely matted that we had no choice but to cut the, the coats back because when you have very bad mats and you have wet and dirty mats, they're pulling on the skin and then causing infections. Would they have to be sedated for that? or, or do they... they had they had to be sedated for that. So they had to be sedated to get the nails uh, cut back and then while they were sedated, um, they had to be uh, clipped up as well and then they all had to be put under heat lamps because obviously it's going to take uh, several months for their coats to grow back to some bit of length. And what kind of nature dogs are they? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming they're very timid and, and very nervous dogs, are they? Initially they were, Patricia, but you know what? Within 24 hours of getting them out of where they were, um, it was heartwarming to see them uh, wagging the tails and delighted with the little bit of attention, delighted with the bit of affection. You know what I mean? At some point, they were clearly given some bit of attention, um, you know, uh, but uh, things obviously went really wrong, which is what worries us with people. People's circumstances change and First of all, animal owners, if your circumstances change, reach out for help. Ask for help. Don't let it get so bad that you have an ISPCA inspector landing at your property and bringing all sorts of trouble on your shoulders. But these little dogs um, serve no purpose where they were. Um, They're going to have a far better life now. Um, They're nearly ready for rehoming. Um, you know, once they get a little bit of weight on them and the coats have grown a little bit. But they're gorgeous. They are gorgeous, lovely, friendly little dogs that are going to make a family very happy. Because I take it there's a difference between, both of them are wrong, but is there a difference between neglect and abuse? Um, it's 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 a very grey area. Um, I kind of say animal cruelty comes down to willful neglect on people's behalf. Uh, sometimes you can see neglect as in this situation. Now, in my head, there is no excuse for things to get this bad. If you go into a property and the, the dogs are living in dirty conditions, but the dogs themselves are, are well fed and in good body condition, you can work with that. But when you walk in and the living uh, conditions are horrendous and the conditions of the dogs are horrendous, um, yes, there is an element of neglect, but in my head, it's it's far more serious. Will this go, go to, will this end up in the courts? Uh, still under investigation. Um, you know, I mean, it's everything happened very quickly. Uh, obviously, the welfare of the dogs is, is the most important thing um, for us to benefit on. Get them out, get them to a safe place, get their medical needs and their physical needs looked after. Uh, and then, as you know, um, any any uh, litigation takes a little bit of time, careful consideration and gathering of evidence. Okay, and these would these be easy dogs to rehome for you, uh, Lisa? They will be. Um, small dogs always rehome, and there's been such a, an outpouring of warmth from the public um, that I believe that the centre has actually been quite busy um, dealing with inquiries about them. Um, so I would feel very confident um, that by the end of the month they'll all be reserved. Fantastic, fantastic. And we also, uh, we, we must acknowledge the person who picked up the phone and rang because if they didn't make that call, Lisa, I'm assuming you would have been you wouldn't have known these dogs were there? Never. If I had been parked outside that property, Patricia, I would never have known what was going on there. I know people are reluctant to make phone calls. I know that they're a little bit hesitant in doing so. But, you know, if I arrive at someone's property and there's no problem, I'll have a chat with the person, I'll apologise for disturbing them and I'll leave. 
Um, you know, and I would rather apologise to someone for wasting their time than for not to be pointed out these horrific things that are going on. So if you are concerned about um, dogs in your neighbourhood, animals in your neighbourhood, pick up the call. It's all or pick up the phone and call us. It's all confidential. We're not going to be releasing your information to anyone. Yeah, we're not, they're not going to say Mary down the road has sent me up to you. OK, no. and 1890 that's correct. Yes. That's the number, 1890-515-515. And Lisa, do you believe people respected the message that dogs are for life, not just for Christmas? I would like to think that they do, but, you know, I mean, it's actually funny, the conversations I've been having with people over the Christmas period who were still going off and looking at Dundee and, and places like that, looking for puppies for Christmas. Um, it is still kind of sad uh, and I mean you can't kind of bring a hammer down on people's heads and tell them no you shouldn't be doing that it's all wrong because not all breeders are, are bad there's a lot of very responsible breeders but I still think the new year which is why we we had those dogs we, we couldn't publicise we had those dogs because we knew the people would want them for Christmas Day and that to me is rehoming for all the wrong reasons Oh, so you've had those dogs since before Christmas? Yeah, they okay. came in just before Christmas, yeah. All right, and, and you reckon the end of the month ready to go to their forever homes? Absolutely, because um, it took a while to groom them. They're all now lined up to be neutered. Uh, they have been uh, vaccinated. They've had their parasite treatment. Uh, their coats have been clipped. Their nails have been cut. Um, they've all been monitored to make sure that there's no underlying health issues, which thankfully there isn't. Um, so by the end of this month, they'll be good to go. Are they boys and girls? Boys and girls. And they weren't neutered? No. No, I, I would suspect, Patricia, probably, uh, you know, kind of going back a couple of years ago, um, there was probably a bit of breeding going on yeah. at the uh, premises. Wouldn't even want to think about that. God almighty. OK, all right. Listen, well done, uh, as always. You do fantastic work. Um, I hate to say long may you continue, but unfortunately, we you, you we, we need you. We need you um, and the ISPCA. I would love to see the day when we would end all cruelty and we wouldn't have to have organisations like you, but unfortunately, I cannot, can't see that happening. Thank you for that, Lisa. And a happy, you, new, happy new Year to you, by and the way. And many happy uh, returns to you and your listeners. Well, talk okay. again. Bye-bye, Thank bye-bye. You. The wonderful uh, Lisa O'Donovan of the ISPCA. SPCA in Cork 1890 515 515 if you suspect cruelty or neglect of uh, animals let them know let them get the inspectors in let them take a look and let them you know just find out because whoever whoever thankfully picked up the phone about those gorgeous little dogs and I saw photographs of them I mean horrific photographs of them I haven't seen them now since they've started to come back and, and do well and no doubt and before they go for rehoming I'm assuming the ISPCA will release photographs uh, of them three little Shih Tzus and five little Bichon Friesers and anyone that owns a Shih Tzu or a Bichon Friese will know they're just adorable absolutely adorable uh, dogs 1850 333 103 and thank you to Peggy in McCroom who was on about something we spoke about earlier in the week it was on Monday when I Deputy Michael Heady Ray on the programme somebody texted in to say they were giving out about Deputy Michael Heady Ray and they said they saw him at a funeral and they were criticising for the way he parked his car but they were more critical of the fact that he went into the funeral home to pay his respects and that he had his cap on and anyone that knows Michael Heady Ray will know he he's always has his signature little flat cap on I think he even wears it inside in the doll doesn't he now I did make the point that you know whatever about walking in with the cap on you know when you went into 
pass on his condolences to the family members you know have you any way of knowing did he take the hat off I'm sure he would he's a very respectful man well Peggy McCroom was on to say she was actually at that funeral that the guy rang us about and she said Michael was wearing his flat cap as he went in to sign the book of condolences but once he walked into the room to sympathise with the family he removed his hat um, and he was more than respectful of the family so to the I think it was Morris, was it, sent in that previous text. Put that near pipe and smoke it. Court today on C103. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go. Shortcastle Street, Mallow. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kiln-dried wood and gas. Lowcostfuel.ie So, you've got a smartphone or tablet. Download the C103 app today and listen to your favourite shows on the go. On your phone. Tablet. Smart speaker. And radio. We are C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. Now dog owners are once again being urged to be mindful of where their pets are at all times with sadly sheep attacks more commonplace at this time of year especially with the busy lambing period. Joining me from the Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association is their chairperson Sean McNamara. Good morning to you Sean. Uh, they're very good. Now, your new year started off not the way you would have wanted. Tell me what happened to your flock. Uh, they were chased by a fawn that's keeping a field in Langham County, by dogs, and there was four of them killed that day, and there's two of them killed since with dogs. And New Year's Day. Were you able to track down the owners of the dogs? No, we got one dog, but there was no chip, like usual. Uh, there was no chip, so we couldn't track down the owner. Uh, that was it. And I believe not the first time you've lost sheep to dog attacks. No, in 2018 I lost 40 sheep over a six-week period with dogs. Um, it was pure mess. We were contemplating whether we get out sheep altogether in 2018, the way things went. And now we don't know what, whether we're coming or going with the same thing happening again, like, you know. And Sean, is it really upsetting for farmers to walk into a field and to find dead and dying youth? Oh, of course, it's, it's very upsetting. Like, like... Like it's not alone, alone the, the oars to kill. It's all the oars of me and horse. And like we were busy, we brought home 140 oars out of that same field. Our, every year we have taken lambs and they were twisted everywhere in the, in the knot and in the oars. So that's what's happening. Like it's, it's causing you double or triple the heart. Yeah, because even if they're not injured, sheep can die from shock, can't they? Oh, and- they can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could they have fought it after three weeks and rotten lambs in them and so on? And they're a very timid animal. They're not really able to defend themselves. No, they're not able to defend themselves. They're what dogs is and run them into a corner and then they just attack them and that's it. They're not. They just run away from the dogs and that's it. No. So it's owner responsibility here. Know okay, where your dog is at all times. Yeah, well, that's 95%, like I just say, of owners is responsible for their dogs and look after dogs and look after them well. But then there's that 5% who doesn't care where the dog is. There's no where. And I, yeah, our, the, your phone line isn't, isn't isn't great, and and the the other problem, and I mentioned this earlier, you you know you'll have people saying, oh, you know, my beloved dog is such a quiet dog at home, would never attack sheep. Any dog will attack sheep. It's in the nature of a dog to hunt. I want to take it out loose, and it's not, they gather up, they come along a road, and they get up three or four dogs, and then next thing they're into attacking mode, and that's it. Yeah, it's that pack mentality, isn't it? Uh, that, it's that pack they have. Yeah, yeah. Same as the wolves, same as I, you know. 
All right. Okay, so know where your dogs are at all times. Sean, I'll leave yeah, you go. Yeah, that's what I'm telling people. Like, I said, 95% of the people is okay, 100%. But there's that 5% percent is isn't here. Okay, I'll, I'll leave you go because I see you on the side of the road as well and the phone line isn't great. Thanks for that. That is uh, Sean McNamara who is chair of the Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association. Uh, it, the, it, he's the chairperson. Uh, he sounds like a, he's on a very busy road uh, as well with the cars whizzing by. Know where your dogs are at all times, please. That is the message that we are trying to get through to you. I've had a couple of emails in that I want to give mention to events that happened over Christmas and people just want to kind of say a little bit of a thank you to people who got involved or helped out in any way. Uh, the lovely Joe Cadwell, who joined us before Christmas, they were the group in Dunmanway who were organising the Christmas dinner for people who, for whatever reason, didn't want to be on their own on Christmas Day. I think it's one of these wonderful, wonderful community events. Uh, one of the few that happens on Christmas Day and they were having it in Cox's Hall and they basically put the message out to anyone if for whatever reason you don't want to be on your own on Christmas Day or if you can't afford a Christmas dinner or you're just simply feeling a little bit lonely want a bit of a company come on down and join us in Cox's Hall and you get a wonderful Christmas dinner and there was a load of volunteers involved who were doing all the prep on Christmas Eve and getting the dinner ready and then serving up the dinner on Christmas Day well Joe has come back to us after Christmas uh, to say that 80 plus meals were served in Dunmanway on Christmas Day, some in Cox's Hall and then they delivered others around to houses, people who were unable to, for whatever reason, get down to Cox's Hall but wouldn't be able to have a Christmas dinner, nobody to cook a Christmas dinner for them. So they kind of did a Meals on Wheels service on Christmas Day. Joe said, we had a great day and everyone went home happy thanks to the generous sponsorship received and the volunteers who make it all possible. Thanks to each and every one. And she ends her email with, until next time, and I have a funny feeling Joe will be back with us next year advertising it again and saying they're doing it all over again so well done to everyone who got involved in that community dinner on Christmas Day in Dunmanway and then Anne-Marie Lahan has been back to us now we spoke with Anne-Marie before Christmas she was organising the hunting of the wren for charity in the Whelan area and we spoke with Anne-Marie because she was looking for people who'd like to get involved if, you know someone like to come along and be a driver or if someone could play an instrument or sing a song or do whatever she was looking for people to help out so she's come back to say they had a very successful hunting of the wren and she wants to say a sincere thanks to everybody who helped out on the day either took part in the wren or else gave money because they were doing it for charity people were very very generous they collected on St Stephen's Day in the Whelan area 4,000 and €69. That's an amazing amount of money. And the money was divided equally between the Air Ambulance in Rathcool, who God knows we know they need the money, Penny Dinners in Cork, also an organisation that needs the money, and Father McCormack, who is from Foyle in Valley Desmond, and he does tremendous amount of work with teams in South Africa, and that money will be very well spent. And representatives from each of the groups came along, and they presented the money at the end of December. So, Amri just wants to say a big thank you to everybody who helped out in any way. And also, to get the message out that she's already planning for next year and if there's anybody out there who feels a particular charity could benefit if you'd like to nominate a charity to put forward 
to get some of the proceeds from the hunting of the wren. Uh, she's more than willing to hear from you and she's also putting the call out. They would like to have more drivers with a car, musicians, singers, anybody willing to even shake a tambourine to get in contact and Anne-Marie Laham and the Wren crew in Wheeling can be contacted on 87 and she sounds like somebody else we're going to be hearing uh, from again next year she'll be looking for more help for people to get involved in the hunting of the Wren You're listening to Cork Today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed Burns, one of our listeners, has asked me just to draw attention to the fact that there's a change to bank holidays in the United Kingdom. And I actually only heard about this earlier on this week. And it might be important for anyone who maybe is planning a trip to the United Kingdom and maybe you're going over to see family or friends and you want to go over when you know that there's a bank holiday in the UK or you want to coincide with a bank holiday in this country. Um, there is a change to bank holidays. The bank holidays are kind of one of those things we all know when they're going to happen. Like we know in this country we'll have a bank holiday for St. Patrick's Day and then we'll have the Easter Monday and then after that the summer ones we have our May bank holiday our June bank holiday and our October bank holiday and for us here in Ireland it's the first Monday in May first Monday in June and the first Monday in August and many people organise holidays around that the United Kingdom are slightly different then they obviously have different dates for their bank holidays particularly their summer ones they have two bank holidays in the month of May. They have the first Monday and the last Monday. I also think that's a really a little bit bizarre why they don't wait like we do and have this the, the last one. Why don't they push it forward and have it as the first Monday in June? But anyway, that's the way they do things. They have the first Monday and the last Monday. Both bank holidays in the United Kingdom in the month of May. But not so this year. Because just for one year only, 2020, uh, the first bank holiday in May, which is the coincides with our one here in this country, that should be on Monday the 4th of May. But in the United Kingdom for this year instead, that early bank holiday gets cancelled and it's moving instead to the following Friday. So the bank holiday is going to be a bank holiday Friday and it'll be the 8th of May. And what's it all to do with their commemorating VE Day? It's the 75th anniversary of VE Day, Victory in Europe Day, which happened in end of the first, Second World War back in 1945 and the May bank holiday has been moved only once before would you believe that was 25 years ago it was 1995 when they marked the 50th anniversary of VE Day so they're obviously they're following something that they did and that they deemed a success 25 years ago so they've decided to do it again so Bernard has suggested I draw attention to it for anybody listening maybe people from the United Kingdom who are living here now or maybe planning on going home on a visit over the bank holiday weekend just to let them know that it isn't that first Monday in May For the, it is in this country it's just in the United Kingdom it's not a bank holiday they are opting instead to have their bank holiday on Friday the 8th of May 1850 333 103 a lot of your texts and calls uh, coming in we were talking about the flu and the flu that's doing the rounds at the moment that's causing all kinds of problems inside in our hospitals because we've um, we've lost a number of people have died because of uh, flu because of the flu and that there are many people being have had to be hospitalized in intensive care units there's a lot of people in there with uh, flu and, and it really is quite serious. And we had been warning about this particular flu because people were watching what was going on in Australia and obviously Australia get their winters before us. So the same flu strain, you know, migrates and comes over here. It's the way it happens every year. So we can look to see what happens in Australia. And we knew a couple of months ago with when they came through their flu season that it was particularly tough 
tough flu season and it hit earlier and the very same thing has happened here and we've been talking about the flu vaccines and we run a lot of ads for the HSC telling people particularly people in the at-risk group to please make sure that you get your flu vaccine and it's not too late by the way to get the vaccination even though there is flu out and about in the wider community at the moment if you haven't had your flu shot and you are in the at-risk group you can go to your doctors a lot of the chemists are doing it now as well you can get your flu jab and Mike in Bantry said he used to get flus two or three times a year every winter so he went away and he got the pneumonia injection and the flu injection and he's got the flu injection uh, and uh, and since he started getting the flu vaccine he has never had a flu since the, the injection for the for the pneumonia is every five years, according to us, that's just a one-off. But anyway, he's advocating to people to say, look, here was somebody who suffered badly from flu or flu-like symptoms, but he reckons the best thing he ever did was get the flu vaccine. Thank you for that. And Mike, and continue good health to you and well done for getting the flu jab. Let me go back to the RIC commemoration. Hi Patricia. I would consider myself a nationalist, says uh, Christy, and I believe all commemorations should be ended. It was rather nauseating and hypocritical watching politicians commemorating our 1916 heroes as it is the same politicians and their parties who have betrayed the memory of all those who fought and died for Irish freedom, according to Christie. They have collectively given away our sovereignty to an undemocratic EU and they've sold out the people. And that comes in from Christie in Temple Glanton. While Mags said... Mags thought it was a disgraceful speech by Leo Varadkar and his casual acceptance of this RIC commemoration. And yet at the same time, he can't acknowledge we have people dying on our streets. We have elderly people who worked all of their lives and paid taxes in need. We have children in need of chemo. It being delayed, people having no homes, not caring about the 760 people without a hospital bed. So that so. They shouldn't be worried about something that happened 100 years ago and they certainly shouldn't be spending any money on this event. It is disgraceful, says Mags. Wasn't happy about that RUC commemoration at all. And John Joe in Newmarket said that the government losing their mind or what? What are they thinking about? And why are we teaching history in our schools? If we're teaching our children about the RIC and what happened and about the atrocities at that time, why, why therefore in the next breath would we even consider to have any kind of a state commemoration? Thank you for that. Rather, some of your calls and uh, comments coming in to us. And then somebody else has come up with a suggestion with everything that's going on with the health crisis that we're facing at the moment. This is from Sally, who is suggesting that we head up some kind of what she calls SOS centres, like you would do in if you had an emergency disaster in this country. She cites, for example, what we should do is in every community, they should use the local community hall or church and use it as a pop-up emergency hospital to deal with mainly local flu cases from that area and run with the help of the community as well as with some of the army who would have medical skills and organisational skills 
to set up like a kind of a field hospital. They will be able to treat the flu symptoms better and also keep it contained and keep it in an area. And at the same time, they'll be freeing up beds in hospitals. Please pass this on to those who think it might be a good idea. People in power who might be able to put this in place. Also, it would be good in future for every community to have such a group already set up and plan and have the training done so there could be a rapid response if God forbid something happened and there was ever a need for it says Sally and she feels that it might help in the current situation with what's going on with our hospitals. Thank you for that Sally. WhatsApping 0862103103 talking about what's going on in our hospitals. The Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation their trolley count put the number of patients deemed to require admission to hospital who were left waiting for a bed at a record level for a second day. Yesterday they said there were 760 patients on trolleys in emergency departments are on wards queuing for a bed. The worst affected hospital yesterday was top of the list University Hospital Limerick always seems to do bad in this 75 patients waiting in a bed that was followed by University Hospital Galway with 51 our good selves here here in Cork the University Hospital 47 Letterkenny 47 and the South Tiberi General Hospital which is another hospital that does bad as well Uh, they came in with 44 people on bed so our senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran we sent her out yesterday to CUH to have a chat with people there she spoke with a patient who had been on a trolley for 12 hours when Fiona got to chat with her. People lying on trolleys and hallways and everything is actually not nice to see at all. Like you'd, want, you'd hope somebody would have a bit of privacy in there but you actually don't. There's just people thrown everywhere so there is. It's crazy. Honestly, it's crazy. I've seen people sitting in the emergency department sleeping on chairs last night and all. It's madness. And waiting times for doctors is just crazy. Absolutely crazy. You came in last night. Have you managed to get a bed yet? Yeah, I got a trolley, but I'm sleeping in a hallway. So, yeah, but at least I got a trolley, I suppose, and I don't have to sleep in a chair. I look at the bonus, I suppose. And I mean, we hear all the time of people lying on trolleys. For you, what was that like? Um, it's a bit weird because you, you kind of want a bit of privacy when you come to the hospital because everybody has their own problems and you don't really get that privacy and it was hard to go to sleep and everything last night because where I'm sleeping there's people going in and out and people talking and trolleys going in and out. It's just crazy, so it is. It's just crazy. I mean, if you're going in there with an illness and you're not able to sleep and you know, you're not having any privacy, like that's obviously taking an effect as well. Oh yeah, it does, yeah. Like I seen like there's a lot of old people sleeping in hallways there and it's actually just not nice at all at all. Like you hear about it on the radio that there's overcrowding and things like that, but like you actually don't realise how bad it actually is until you're in here and actually see it for yourself. Like you hear it on the radio. I didn't think it was that bad, but like geez, last night I seen people sleeping on chairs, like God, that's madness, like I was actually shocked, like, I didn't think it was actually as bad as people were saying on the radio, but it actually is, like, it's crazy. Have you any idea when you might get a bed? No, your case is as good as mine. <laughs> Couldn't tell you now at this stage, honestly. Look, I won't complain, I have a trolley. I'm happy out at the moment. Is it embarrassing? I had doctors come to me this morning, and you know what they did? Out in the hallway, they checked me, they pulled out this, I don't know, some kind of screen yolk, and they just wrapped it around. But, like, people could hear everything that they were saying to me and everything else. Like, so don't really have any bit of privacy at the moment. But they're doing their best, to be fair to the doctors. They're doing their best. But they can only do so much. Like, more beds would probably be handy. More rooms, maybe. <laughs> I mean, like, the 
staff are under so much pressure and you're obviously seeing that in there oh Jesus the staff inside are doing the best they can you seem to are running around the place it's actually crazy they're actually off their feet inside trying to get to everybody as fast as they possibly can and last night I was sitting out here smoking a fag and I actually heard people saying they were coming over from the Mercy and all that the Mercy was so packed that the Mercy were sending people over to CUH like that's just bad for them altogether Okay, and that was our senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran yesterday when she spoke to that uh, young man who at that stage 12 hours and I uh, hope he has been sorted seen to and he gets the got the hospital bed that he required. Um, today, CUH nurses Jean O'Connell and Michelle Kingston. Uh, Fiona spoke with them on their way into a meeting between the INMO and the HSE in CUH and this is to to discuss the ongoing overcrowding crisis and also it was to see if they were going to extend the cancellation of elective surgery. Here's what the two nurses had to say. This is what we do. We look after we look after sick people. But it is um it is taking a huge toll on people personally. Physically they are physically I mean first and foremost when there's a, an epidemic of anything, just because you have a uniform on you doesn't mean you're immune to the to the germs. So I mean the more the more crowded is the staff are at risk as well. There's no disputing that when you're stress your immune system is down you're more likely to pick something up as well and then on top of that but I think for what is really as and in, in a human capacity like psychologically just to see the it's just the volume of help that of help that's required people are calling they're looking for bells they're ringing bells and you've only one pair of hands and one pair of legs you can only do one thing at a time and you're constantly being pulled in every direction and that takes its toll on people because no matter how hard you work no matter how much you do your best, it's not enough. This is definitely not the record that anybody wants to have. And here in Cork, we, we don't want to have it. And unfortunately, consistently, we were at the top of the table. And this all spills back to the same problem that is not fully is not being addressed fully. Um, and that is capacity, the lack of beds in, in all aspects of health across Cork. Um, if you go back in time, the North Infirmary closed. Beds were taken out of the system then. Um, the population has got bigger. And it has got older. You have at both so at both ends of this direction, you see you have old frail people, and then if you look down at the carrying tools and all those developing areas, you have a lot of young children and young families coming on board. So the population is expanding, and the bed capacity for acute, and for step down, and for elder care has not kept pace with society. I work in ED myself, so I know firsthand what it is and what it's like, Paul. And reiterating what my colleague Conor DC said yesterday um, to you, it is like third world. Um, coming home from a shift, crying um, in the 12 years that I'm in ED. Yes, I've been upset coming home, but crying because I feel I haven't done enough. You know, um, it is really bad. Oh, the indignity of it. Oh, I, I can, I don't know what it's like myself, but I can only imagine for a patient who is 70 odd years of age, because that's the criteria you inside an ED who can't speak, who can't tell us how they are feeling. We can only assume how they're feeling. And as nurses, we're trained to do that. Um, it's heartbreaking because, you know, you know, a lot of these people don't have, pay, have uh, families to help them, to speak for them. We're their advocates as nurses. And that's what I am, first and foremost, as a nurse. Constantly going out, going out to the waiting room to make sure your patient has collapsed outside there. You're apologising. You're apologising to their, their relatives. You know, you've... And I mean, and I can stand here and categorically say that, you know, we're always apologising, you know, for, and it's something, you know, because us as nurses, we blame ourselves, you know, that's who we blame because we, we take it on board, you know, because you're looking after your patients in the morning, you get your patients in the morning and you do, you blame yourself 
you know, because that's, that's, what, that's what I do, that's my job, you know, and it's what I love to do, and I'll carry on doing it. And it's, it's demoralising, it's upsetting, and it's, it's actually worse than upsetting. Like, we don't want to see patients on trolleys no more than the, the patients themselves or their relatives. That's a tough listen, isn't it? That's uh, Fiona Corcoran uh, speaking with two nurses yes, or today, sorry, this morning, Gene O'Connell and Michelle Kingston, as they were heading into the meeting to try to discuss the ongoing overcrowding crisis. Noel in Charleville, this is people trying to come up with uh, solutions. Heatherside Hospital, fabulous building, says Noel. Uh, why did the HSC not do it up and put people in there? Use it as an isolation unit, which others have suggested. Hospital was closed overnight by the HSC. It's a shame to see it uh, wasted. And I thought one, I don't know which of the nurses, thank you for that Noel, I don't know which of the nurses made the point. Was it Jean and Michelle who was making the point about we have an ageing population so with an ageing population more of those older people are going to get sick and need hospital attention but we also have a a younger population and we have more babies being born and more children and families and more people moving into the area this is here in the Cork area and yet the number of beds hasn't kept up with we haven't increased the number of beds if anything we have less beds now than what we had a number of years ago so you know it it had to something had to break at some stage and it, it, it it really does sort of feel doesn't it like it's broken like our health system is broken. And then uh, morning, this is a, a text in from a listener. There's, there isn't a na- no name this morning. My husband was admitted to the Mercy Accident and Emergency on New Year's Day. He was seen immediately and the treatment he received by staff was outstanding. He had class A flu with an asthma attack. He was very unwell. He needed ICU doctors to care for him. I've never witnessed such fantastic care, such diligence. They are under major pressure from the flu epidemic. And I'd never say I'd a touch of flu again after seeing what real flu is like. Uh, They're short of chairs, short of wheelchairs, short of porters, short of staff. And they were receiving a lot of abuse. But there was also a lot of people at the Mercy A&E who didn't need to be there, who were taking up valuable time with complaints that they could have had dealt with by GP or by South Dock. I know this as you could hear everything in a very small area. There needs to be more emergency emergency clinics to deal with minor injuries like the one in the orthopaedic or needs to be more triage areas for assessment I feel I feel for the staff but my husband got amazing amazing treatment and and I hope your husband I don't know whether he's home yet or if he's still in hospital but thank you for that and that's the one thing about our health system you know and all the complaints we do about it when you get in there and if you can get in there that's the problem and once you get in there it's the same with cancer care in many cases I would have interviewed people who've got uh, cancer and if they were public patients it was getting the diagnosis and getting in and once you can get into the system it's fantastic. We have such dedicated staff. I mean even listening to those two nurses talking on the way into the, into the meeting how upset they are leaving because they feel they haven't done, done enough it's just, it's dreadful. It's dreadful but it does feel like we have a system that's broken and something needs to be done about it. 1850-333-103 John Paul taking your calls. The C103 Court Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie.
Anam Cara are hosting a parent support evening in the Clayton Hotel in Cork. It's on this evening at 20 past seven. All bereaved parents are welcome to attend. Kenturk Bingo resumes at the Adele Quinn Hall tonight, half past eight. Usual buses will apply. There's a five euro charge for people using the bus transport and the jackpot, 3,200 euro. And Operation Transformation Bohabui, that starts tonight and then every Wednesday night for seven weeks in the Pierce Memorial Hall in Boerbui. Registration and weigh-in is at 7 o'clock tonight and then the walk starts at 8 on the footpaths around Boerbui. The fee is €30. Euro. There will be a one-day safe talk in Bantry this Friday in the Drum Lee Resource Centre from 10am to 1pm. Admission is free, but you do need to register at 028 404020. And Colin and District Special Needs Association, they're having their annual sponsored weigh-in. That starts next Monday night, the 13th, 8 o'clock in Colin Community Centre. Court today on C103. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go. Shortcastle Street, Mallow. Smokeless coal, turf, gas and kiln-dried wood. Open late seven days. Lowcostfuel.ie Just a couple of quick texts in before we go to the competition today. A listener says, Hi, I was listening to the interview that your senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran did with a patient who was on a trolley in CUH for 12 hours at the stage where Fiona was speaking to him outside the door, obviously, of the ANE. Listener said, listen to the interview to hear the fellow saying he was just out having a fag. When, in the name of God, will hospitals enforce this no smoking policy? And CUH is meant to be a no smoking campus. I don't know. Has it ever worked? I mean, I know when you enter the main door and you will see people smoking there and they have loud booming over the tannoy notices over the tannoy saying it's a no smoking hospital but I, I don't know I, I I don't think it's ever been enforced and how do they enforce it I don't know but thank you for your text on flu and flu like symptoms I take vitamin D vitamin C zinc and B vitamins I also take an elderberry tonic elderberry tonic that's sold locally I by the way never get sick says this texter thank you for that OK competition time we have a two nights B&B in a classic double room for two people with complimentary leisure facilities which includes a heated indoor swimming pool sauna steam room and fitness room it's at the Park Avon Hotel on the Muckross Road in Killarney where's that I hear you cry it's formerly the Holiday Inn it's within walking distance of the town centre and of course we all know Killarney is full of lively bars and attractions so this is a perfect base to stay in the Park Avon Hotel if you would like to explore and see more of Killarney as we've been doing all this week a clip from a well-known Kerry man. Who's this? You have as much chance of getting a straight answer from a Kerry man as you have of getting a goose egg from an Arctic tell. <laughs> Play that again. You have as much chance of getting a straight answer from a Kerry man as you have of getting a goose egg from an Arctic tell. <laughs> OK, if you know who that is, what famous Kerry man is that, get texting or WhatsApping, please, 086 to 103 103 we'll leave we'll accept your texts and whatsapps for about 10 minutes and then we will select a winner 0862 103 103 if you would like to head along to the Parkhaven Hotel on the Muckras Road in Killarney for two nights B&B who's this? You have as much chance of getting a straight answer from a Kerry man as you have of getting 
a goose egg from an attic tell. And it's text and WhatsApp only, please. 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go. Shortcastle Street, Mallow. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kiln-dried wood and gas. Lowcostfuel.ie Download the C103 app today and listen to your favourite shows on the go. Grab our podcasts and get all the latest Cork news on your phone, tablet, smart speaker and radio. Turn up the volume. We are C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Okay, on the crisis in the hospitals with somebody suggesting the Heatherside Hospital in North Cork, which was closed down a number of years ago by the HSE. Fine building and it was closed down overnight. Uh, Margaret says the problem now is that Heatherside Hospital is so run down, it's isolated. It would take an awful lot of money to invest in that hospital. But why it was ever closed down as a facility for older people, Margaret said she can never understand. When they made the decision, we were already talking about the ageing population that we had. So the government are well aware that we are living longer and that we need facilities for older people. It really is bad management that they would even consider closing a facility like uh, Heatherside. Thank you for that, Margaret, to 1850-333-103. And a mother from County Wexford has written an open letter to the Health Minister, Simon Harris, after her son's heart surgery was cancelled. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com for the eighth time. Noreen uh, Kinsler uh, joins me to talk about her little son, Tommy. Uh, good, good afternoon to you, Noreen. Hi, Patricia. How um, are you? I'm very well and, and you're welcome to the programme and thank you uh, for taking our call. OK, t- little Tommy, a gorgeous photograph of him, I have to say, on, on paper and online today. He's, he's seven. Outline his health conditions. I believe it was something he was born with. Yes, it is. Tommy was born with a little heart defect and had an ABSD repair done in our ladies when he was 11 months old. And then you brought him home and life continued as normal? It did for a long time, um, up until up until approximately about a year ago. Um, and then now he needs a mitral valve either repair or replacement. 
So he's awaiting that in Our Lady's Hospital at the minute. Now talk me through how his surgery has been cancelled for the eighth time. Okay, so we have got numerous phone calls to say, you know, it will go ahead next week and then we got a phone call to say that it's out of their control and that unfortunately due to an emergency or due to bed shortages that it has been cancelled. On two occasions we have actually been in the hospital oh. um, when we got the news to to be sent home. So it, it's been a tough, tough road. And you, I mean obviously for a little boy of seven, you're, you're psyching him up to the fact that he's going into hospital. So you've had to do that every time and then you've had to tell him no, Tommy, you're not having the operation. Absolutely. Well, we've been lucky in that the only times, the the first time he knew it was coming up and we didn't actually make it to the hospital that time. We had had a phone call beforehand for it to be cancelled. Um, so he was devastated then. And luckily we hadn't said anything to him about any of the other times, far the two times we were actually in the hospital. So he was unaware of a few of the dates, thank God, but, but the other ones he took, he took horrendously hard. God help him. And have you a date? Have you a new date now? We do. Next Wednesday morning, please God. But again, I could be ringing you on Wednesday for you to say I got a phone call on Tuesday to say it's not happening. That has been the case so far, unfortunately. And I'd like to say this is is absolutely nothing to do with the hospital. The hospital are absolutely amazing. They just don't have the resources. And how, physically, how is Tommy doing? Tommy is doing okay. He... He can't run around for long periods of time anymore. He can't play hurling anymore. And at the minute, under advice from his GP, he's actually out of school as well because there's so many bugs and infections and flus and stuff that way. So he he is quite limited in what he can do. How did Christmas go for you guys? Christmas was tough. We had prepared for Christmas in Crumlin um, for the two weeks prior to Christmas and booked hotels so that our daughter could come up and stay Christmas Eve and be with us all on, on Christmas morning and then again obviously our surgery had been cancelled so those plans changed which was great we got to be at home for Christmas however he ended up in Wexford General A&E on three occasions um, over Christmas on two of the occasions he was able to be released with the fear being of course all the Folks in the hospital, our hospital was actually on lockdown over Christmas and there was no visitors in and out in the whole shebang because there was so much of it in the hospital. And he was kept in then on one occasion um, where he was monitored overnight and they consulted with Crumlin the next day then and sent him home. They were both happy to do so. And once, knowing once he has this operation, will life then return to normal for Tommy, do you believe? Yes, I do indeed. Yeah, please God, all going well. So all these hospital visits will end and... Yeah, we should go back to, to how we were after his first surgery where he was absolutely no different to any other child on the playground. He was able to get up and go and live an absolutely perfectly normal life. And is it true he said she let me have my surgery so I can go out to play? Yeah, you see, we when you're trying to build a child up for surgery, obviously at seven years of age, you can't get into the nitty-gritty of what's actually going to happen. So anytime we spoke about it, we focused on what was going to happen after the surgery. That of course, the surgery wasn't going to be nice, but you will get back on the hurling field, you will get back swimming, you'll be back with all your friends in school. So that that's the approach we've taken with them, the positive, we've taken all the positive out of it and focused on all the good that his surgery is going to bring to him. So that's how he views his surgery. 
And of course, then when he's told he can't have it, it's well, you told me I could have it, and oh, I can I go and do this, and I can do that, and it, it's devastating. devastating you know, how do you explain to a seven-year-old that we've got a crisis in the health health system? He just he wants his operation, he wants to get better, and he wants to get out to play with to play with his friends. And he's probably That's at that age as well. He's probably missing school. Is is he knowing? He is. He's missing school terribly. So you you wrote an open letter, a very brave open letter to the health minister. It took us a while, but, but we got there. Well done, it's excellent. You've, you've really put it together really well. Have you had any reaction from the minister? No, I haven't. Nothing? Nothing. I got a message from a TD last night that was a screenshot of a text message from the minister just saying, um, I will look into this in the morning um, regarding Simon. And that was yesterday, was it? Yes, and that was through a TD. That message was sent to a TD, screenshot it and sent it to me. And nothing, and you obviously haven't heard from Crumlin Children's Hospital? No, not as we speak. But I, I, there's, there's absolutely no issue with the hospital. The hospital can't, couldn't possibly do it more for us than they already are. And I know as a family, you've been doing your own bit to give back to the hospital. You've done a lot of fundraising. We have, absolutely, and we will continue to do so. As I said, the... The hospital are absolutely fantastic. They provide um, necessary services to so many parents and they're they're just absolutely phenomenal and we will continue to do it, only this is just beyond their control. They don't have beds, they don't have staff, they don't listen to There's just a crisis the whole way across the board in our health service. Okay, we'll keep our fingers, toes and everything crossed and we'll offer every prayer that we can for little Tommy, uh, Noreen and we'll keep in contact with you and please God it will all go ahead uh, next Wednesday but stay strong, it's a fantastic letter and I do hope that the Minister responds and responds quickly to you but thank you for taking our call this morning. Thanks a million Patricia. God bless, Uh, take care, bye bye. That is uh, Noreen Kinsler who by the way ended her open letter to Minister Simon Harris by saying as a mother I am now desperate and I beg you to help this is my boy my hero my Tommy God help them God help them and she she put a little picture on it as well of her son Tommy and, and her husband Gary it's just awful dreadful that that family have to go through that uh, any little boy he needs the operation and let him get on with his life and you know let him get out there and play and be with his other friends it's it's shocking we'll keep in contact with the Noreen and we'll keep, keep her and little Tommy in our thoughts and prayers and hopefully that operation will go ahead next uh, Wednesday some more of your thoughts coming in on people who've ended up in hospital Lucy in Drimmer League says I'm a cancer patient and unfortunately contracted flu over Christmas I was admitted to Cork University Hospital for six six days being uh, treated including having to have my chest drained I don't think I have ever seen them under so much pressure but I have to say the care I received was above and beyond there was chaos all around me but the staff were doing everything that they could they were so good and so kind it's a shame that they're under that kind of pressure and that is from Lucy in Drimmer League thank you for that uh, Lucy and hopefully you've recovered fully from the flu and continue good luck on your uh, cancer journey and somebody else got flu saying hi Patricia I was in hospital with the flu I spent a couple of hours in the accident in an emergency department when I got a bed I was lucky the nurses were absolutely brilliant they couldn't do enough for me I can't thank them enough they were brilliant and isn't it funny that's the one thread that runs through 
all of those messages and phone calls and again talking with Noreen Kinsler about her little boy and Crumlin Children's Hospital. When you get in there and when you looked after, everybody talks about how amazing the staff are, in particular the nurses and then even listening to the nurses that we had on that we spoke to on the way into the meeting, how upset they are that they feel they're not doing their job properly. It's just... You know, we have the staff, we have these wonderful, wonderful staff who are going above and beyond the call of duty, but we're asking too much of them. We literally are asking too much of them and a lot of them are heading for burnout, which is just unacceptable. It simply is unacceptable. 1850 Um Oh, there was a purse lost, by the way. Sorry, I meant to give this a mention. There was a purse lost in Bandon Town around the main street are the chapel steps. It's a small pink purse and it's got an ID inside it. I don't know if there's money, but there's certainly an ID in, in, inside it. If you found it, could you contact us here, please, at C103, because we would like to get that purse reunited with its uh, owner. Who is this? You have as much chance of getting a straight answer from a Kerry man as you have of getting a goose egg from an Arctic town. And it's not Neil Tobin, and it is also not Dahi O'Shea. There were a couple of the wrong answers. A lot of people thought it does sound like Neil Tobin. It is, of course, John B. Keane. And our winner today is Eileen Griffin from Red Baron in Yall. Congratulations to you, Eileen. You have won for yourself. Two nights B&B in a classic double room for two people with complimentary leisure facilities which includes a heated indoor swimming pool, sauna, steam room and fitness facility. You are heading off to the Park Avon Hotel on the Muckross Road in uh, Killarney. Enjoy. Uh, you are walking distance to the town. And by the way, we're going to do it all over again tomorrow and again on Friday. But we're upgrading the prize. Tomorrow and Friday's prize is two nights bed and breakfast in a family suite for two adults and two children. There you go. So you're just taking the family with you. So we'll do it all over again tomorrow with another well-known Kerry voice. But that's where I wrap it up for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we are back with you tomorrow morning for Thursday's edition at 10 o'clock. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Fuel and Go. Shortcastle Street, Mallow. Call and collect or get seven-day delivery for those cosy nights in. Low-cost fuel.ie Hello, this is Eric Griffin. Join me Monday to Friday between 7 and 8 for some great songs on C103 Anthems. Hello, this is Sean Keane. Hello, this is Cathy Durkin. Hi, this is Louise Morrissey. Hi, this is Mick Flavin. Hello, this is Declan Ernie here and you're listening to Eric Griffin on Country and Irish on C103. Don't miss Anthems at 7 and the very best of Country and Irish from 8 right here on C103. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.